0: You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin.
1: I'm really thankful to be here today with a great friend of mine, Jason Baker. Jason is a former NFL punter who spent 11 years in the NFL and has now taken the precision and discipline that's been required to be an elite punter and translated that into his second act, owning Patterson. Patterson is a company that helps develop individuals, executives, and organizations to be very intentional about their strategy and performance. So, Jason, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for
0: having me, man. Appreciate the intro.
1: Well, really glad you're here. And audience, as always, you know, my important disclosures, I do not have a financial relationship with Jason, but I have a very important relationship with him in that I have used his company personally. And I tell people all the time, the work that Jason and I have done together is probably the most important work I've ever done in my career. It's been absolutely instrumental for my family, for my businesses, the way that I approach others, and has really just helped me become a much better leader, a much better father, a much better husband. And so it's truly an honor for me to have Jason with us today so that he can share with you and hopefully have some great benefit from listening in.
0: And I appreciate that. That's exactly why I got out of bed is so that people will say what you just said. I mean, if we can... Get people to that place using those tools. It's a mission accomplished. So that makes me feel good.
1: Well, Jason, I definitely want to spend some time talking about the really important work you do at Patterson, both for individuals and for organizations. But before we do that, our listeners love to hear people's stories. You know, how (laughs) they got started, how they got where they are. Certainly you've had a bit of an unconventional journey, you know, moving from professional athlete to, you know, now professional strategist. Let's start back to actually you getting into football. Like, how did that happen?
0: Kind of an interesting story. I actually don't have any, a ton of athletic history in my background, specifically with football, as far as my family is concerned. I actually had no intent of even playing football. I was uh, playing the neighborhood, all that kind of stuff, but I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was going to go to Bishop Lewers High School. I was raised Catholic. My whole family had gone to the Catholic schools in Fort Wayne. I was just going to follow suit one day i was just like hey guys you know it's august or whatever like what are we doing tomorrow and all my buddies were like i gotta go to football practice And i'm like all right well where is that And they're like at the high school and so i went to wayne high school in fort wayne indiana for my first football practice i wasn't even registered as a student and all of a sudden i joined the football team and then that's where i went to school and then i started playing football and by god's grace that uh ended up being the beginning of a good story. But I actually had no intent of doing it. It was just like, well, if you guys are all going there, that means I won't have anything to do tomorrow if I don't go to football practice. So I think I'll just go to football practice.
1: And you were a soccer player prior to becoming a football player. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, I played soccer, but my primary sport was always baseball. It even was into college a little bit. But I mean, if you grew up in Fort Wayne, football and basketball, both are sort of a rite of passage. Like Our neighborhood games were probably as competitive as any of the organized league games. And so even if you didn't play, you were still sort of playing or you kind of couldn't really exist in the neighborhood. So.
1: This was, listeners, this was back in the glory days of Indiana basketball. You hear me joke a lot that we used to have basketball in Indiana. And when Jason was playing in the neighborhood, this is when everybody was playing in Indiana. So. Yeah.
0: It's weird. I live in North Carolina now. And of course, here in North Carolina, they think they invented basketball. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like, when I grew up in Indiana, it was a completely different thing, even than it is here. And it, it is pretty intense here. But. Yeah, basketball is a cool thing in Indiana. Seems a little different today, but back in the day, it was hard to beat.
1: You couldn't drive by a barn that didn't have a hoop attached (laughs) to it.
0: Yeah, even if it was sort of bent and there was weeds around it.
1: Absolutely. I love this. I didn't know this part of the story. So you actually switched high schools just because you had started playing on the football team with your buddies.
0: Uh, Yeah. So back then you'd start you know, in August before school registration even happened. And so like, literally after like the fourth or fifth day of practice, they're like, Hey, everybody have to go in the building and sign up for school. I was just like, all right. It's <laughs> like, mom, I'm going to Wayne. I mean, I had books and stuff. I remember having like the paper wrapped books from Bishop Lures that were already in my home, like for my freshman year and going to orientation. And I was just like, I think I'm going to go to Wayne. And they're like, all right, for what? I'm like, I'm playing football. I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. It found me, I guess. So you ended up then going to a Big Ten school as a punter. I went to the University of Iowa. That was my senior year. We had a lot of success in high school. We did really well. We won state, probably should have won two state championships in a row and just slightly missed out on that. I had a lot of really super talented players on the team. And so there was a lot of attention on our team from a recruiting perspective. And that helped me a lot. A lot of good opportunities to go to get school paid for, which was awesome. And uh, I went and visited the University of Iowa because I was one of the Big Ten schools that were going to allow me to play baseball and football. The coach they had there, his name was Hayden Fry, was just remarkable. He was you know, 70 years old. He'd been doing it forever and very laid back. It was just a very low pressure environment. My parents loved it. I had never been to Iowa before, and, but it is the whole state just bleeds black and gold. And it's a little bit like what IU basketball Felt like back in the, the 80s and 90s is what Iowa football feels like. And so that was kind of a really cool thing for me. And then, of course, the biggest thing was I had an opportunity to play right away. That was important to me. And then they had the uh, academic side as most well Big Ten schools do. they had that taken care of. So uh, that was a, a perfect fit for me. It was a little further away than my parents wanted to go. They were hoping I would end up at a, you know, an IU, a Purdue, a Michigan State or one of those. But it, those just didn't you – know, they had coaching changes and different things going on. It just didn't make a lot of sense then. So stumbled into a good decision there too somehow. So I was happy about that.
1: Did you end up actually playing both football and baseball?
0: I did for two years. And then we had a, a coaching change. Hayden Fry did retire. Uh, and then Kirk Ferentz, who's still a coach at Iowa today, came in. And during that change, they weren't comfortable with me missing spring football on their first time there. And so they asked me to not play baseball. And then I worked out an agreement where after my football eligibility was expired, that if I wanted to, I could go on and get a graduate degree and complete my baseball eligibility. But. God had different plans and he had a job waiting for me after college, after my football eligibility expired and I'd never had to come back. So I'm not complaining.
1: Well, let's talk about that transition. So you moved from Iowa to the NFL.
0: I did. And that was my first couple of years in national football. We were in San Francisco. So I went from Indiana to Iowa to San Francisco, tons of cultural shift, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of weird really being on your own on the West coast. Of course, that was also during the nine 11. It was my rookie year it was not nine 11. thing happened and Pretty early, and you know, and that was out know, in the Bay Area, everything shut down. It was kind of a mess out there, obviously. And that was a pretty crazy experience. But I got to play a couple of years there, played a couple of years, bounced around for a couple of years. I had one season where I was actually on three rosters, pretty crazy scenario there. And then finally, I was traded to the Carolina Panthers in May of 2005. And I played the balance of my career there another seven years, something like that, and retired in 2012.
1: Really became a, a staple part of the Panthers family. Anytime I go to a game in Charlotte, people still recognize you, know you. They're, you know, saying thank you for everything you've done for the team. It's a pretty cool experience.
0: And honestly, some of it's just because we weren't very good for a couple of years. And I, as a punter, I had to play a lot and they probably got too much exposure to me. But it it was it's a great organization to be a part of, even though Charlotte's a big town. I mean, it's a big city. It's, you know, as big as Indianapolis or maybe bigger, I guess. But it doesn't feel like it. It feels like kind of a more quaint Southern Town and So the relationships are great. And of course, I married into a Southern family. And so this has kind of become home now. Uh, And as we were discussing earlier, uh, your face never hurts outside in North Carolina. Like today, I'm, you know, it's 50 or 60 degrees in February there.
1: I'm sitting here in snowy weather. (laughs) We walk outside, our face absolutely hurts. We constantly ask each other, why do we live in a place where our face hurts? So, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you had a really remarkable career, and I, that's not where we want to spend our time today. I really want to focus on the
0: transition point. What was it that yeah. ultimately made you leave the NFL? So during my career, I went from a scenario where I was hanging on by a thread, like a lot of guys do early on. You try to figure out you're effectively in a place where everyone there is the best person at the world at their job. Not dramatizing that, that's actually factually true. There's thirty, like there were thirty two jobs for what I did available on the planet, and so. you're know, you always trying to figure out how to be in that space and get comfortable. And and so that took three or four years for me to get on my feet. And I went from that to actually having a legit argument to claim that for about a three-year span, I was the best at what I did, which is also kind of a weird thing being like, I don't even know if I can do this to, wow, I just, you know, I'm excelling at this. And of course, there's a window of time. It's a physical sport. There's a window of time this lasts and there's economics and all this involved. So, But I was very fortunate to play as long as I did. I remember going to my first training camp when I got to camp, our first preseason game was 12 days into camp. And I remember thinking, man, it'd be pretty cool if I could get to dress and like be in a preseason game. And then if I could survive 12 days, it would be pretty awesome. And then, you know, 12 years later, I'm exiting and you just realize like, I don't have a thing to complain about. Like I've, you know, this was just a really great experience. But the further I get away from it, the more that I start to appreciate the things that that actually afforded me to learn that don't have anything to do with what people watch on television. And so I'm very grateful for that. But How it ended is not, most guys probably have this vision of like walking away like Tom Brady or something. 99.9% of guys get retired, they don't retire. It looks more like a racehorse probably getting retired than a, there's not a lot of ceremony. It became an economic issue for me. That's really great to be able to get paid as somebody who's really good at what they do. But on the backside of that, it becomes a bullseye for you. So that's how it played out for me. And as I was exiting that, I had some people who care about me a lot that were like, hey, man, when you're you you know you're processing this, you're trying to move to the next thing, you need to call this guy. And I was like, who's this guy? And a gentleman named Pete in Denver, Colorado. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I need all that. And I just kind of ignored it. And finally, a guy reached out to me and he's like, listen, call this guy and get on an airplane and go see him. So fine.
1: You didn't even have the context of like, you know, why they're telling you to go see this guy. They just know these are people that cared about you you're coming out of the league and they're like jason you've got to go see this guy. He's yeah. gonna help you yeah. transition yeah.
0: they were the same guy you are to the people who you're like man you've got to call jason they have experienced something that allowed them to successfully gain clarity uh, specifically for them vocationally or otherwise but like how do i how do i go from act one to act two in a healthy way and they could see what was in front of me and they're like you just got to do this you just got to do this and i was like well we'll see
1: so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but really they were seeing, you know, Jason, look, you used to be the absolute best punter in the entire world. And now you're not even allowed to punt. What are you going to go do with your life?
0: Yeah. At that point, I'm 35 or whatever the math is. And you're like, now what? Yeah. So they knew the situation I was in. And every once in a while, I make a good decision and I did pick up the phone and I did call Pete. And I said, Pete, I guess I need to schedule this thing with you. Tell me about it. And he's going, well, let me, let me tell you about this thing called life plan that we do. I'm like, all right. Long story short, I get on a plan. I go spend a couple of days with him in his basement office. And he pulls me through an exercise that completely like blows the lid off of the way I viewed the rest of my life. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Like this isn't like the, the best thing I'm ever going to do just ended. It's just that chapter ended. It's time for another chapter. And how do I reframe that? How do I roll this whole thing forward? How do I cast the right type of vision? for myself and my family. And how do I intentionally go about pursuing that? How do I take care of myself inside of all that? How do I, you know, explore the proper vocational shifts? Could I even verbalize what my core talents are? Could I even verbalize what my my purpose in life is? Could I tell someone where I'm headed? It just provided a ton of clarity. And in that moment, it started to like, I started to feel and see like the application for this actually being something that I would love to be able to help other people see and touch and feel. And so I don't know if I could say it as well as you did at the beginning, but if you said, hey, go list the most significant individual events or episodes in your life that steered you to where you are, that's without question in the top five things. So the birth of my children, my marriage, a random decision to go to Wayne High School and play football that I didn't even try to make. It just sort of, you know, those type of things. And you realize, like, these are the sort of benchmarks in the story. And this was one of those things that I'm forever grateful that his name's John Putnam. John Putnam said, man, get on that stinking airplane and go see Pete. Yes, sir. Finally, I said yes, sir. I didn't say it right away.
1: I love it. So listeners, again, we talked about this at the very beginning, but the company that Jason is one of the owners of, Patterson, really has two functions that they do. So they have this individual life planning. That's what I've talked about is truly the most important thing I've done professionally. And they also have strategic planning for companies. And the whole point of both of these is really to bring intentionality to the way that we operate. And, you know, one of the things that's been heavy on my mind as we've started into 2022 here is that truly the bigger your dreams and the bigger your aspirations or calling, the fewer decisions you actually get. Because if you know you want to go accomplish this really, really big thing, then that has predetermined how you're going to spend your time, how you have to operate. If you want to be the top punter in the world, you probably don't get a ton of choices in the diet that you get to enjoy. Probably can't eat ice cream eight times a day and expect to be the top punter in the world. So your choices are minimized depending on the size of what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. And, and that's what Patterson really brings intentionality behind. So I want to start with the life plan side, Jason, and then we'll pivot over to the okay. strategic planning side. But this whole concept of you know life planning and those things, back when Patterson got started, that was a very foreign concept. So how did that happen?
0: These are good questions. I'm a third generation steward of this stuff. And The gentleman who created it, his name is Tom Patterson with one T Patterson. And he passed away almost four years ago at 94 years old. And he's probably a guy that most people maybe don't know his name. But if I listed you some of the things that he that he authored or executed on, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, how do I not know this guy's name? Peter Drucker called him the greatest process thinker in the world. He had a 45, 50 year career career in tons of major organizations that we all know household names, some of which are, you know, he's credited with doing a lot of work with Walt and Roy Disney, helping them really establish a good working relationship, but also help the actual establishment and of this empire of, that we know of as Disney. Walt was obviously the mad scientist in the garage with all the beautiful ideas and Roy was nuts and bolts of actually how to run the organization. He actually built a nice model where they could live together and He actually was the guy who, which, and we have this, the original schematic, which is really cool. But he was the guy that actually went in and convinced Roy Disney that a main attraction could be a way of the strategic high ground for this thing that Disney had. And he handed him the schematics for space mountain. So Tom actually designed, he was the original designer of space mountain, And he was doing it because he had a, he was working with RCA at the time and they had just come out with a new lighting technology. And he was trying to figure out like, how do I get this to market organically? So people can see it. And meanwhile, he's in this conversation with the Disneys and he's like, Oh, let's do this.
1: Let's put a roller coaster in the dark. And the dark with, with specialized lighting that has just been invented over here.
0: That's incredible. He worked with a guy named Burton Baskins on how to maintain the integrity of how he wants to make ice cream and have more than three flavors. And uh, we've seen Baskin Robbins. We've you were talking about ice cream earlier. One of my favorites is his and this story, kind of, I've heard it sort of like the big fish story, but 68, 69, something like that. I've always was told he was in San Francisco. Some people say he was in Palo Alto. I don't know the truth. Leaving work, racing to try to get to dinner on time, has to run into a bank to get money. Misses banking hours by thirty seconds. He's annoyed. He sits on the curb outside the bank and writes what became the patent for the ATM machine. And then this guy's just like on a, you know, Ronald Reagan sends into China to help open up the Chinese economy of the world in the eighties. Like there's just all these things that this guy did over time that are. I mean, he was part of the original handheld video cam, uh, the video recorder. He was did a ton of work with NASA. Just, it's just thing after thing after thing.
1: So when Peter Drucker says he's the greatest process thinker in the world, it's going back to all these things that he's had a massive hand in helping develop, whether it's Disney World, Space Mountain, the ATM machine.
0: The manufacturing industry in the 70s and 80s, he was a major piece of that. He's got just getting all the way back and just tons of organizations that we would know. He was always a secondary leader. He was never a primary leader. He was always oftentimes a third party consultant. But the thing that he was able to do was he was challenged at one point to turn this whole like the idea of doing strategic, like installing a real strategic operating system in organizations used to take months and years, and it was large quantities of people like on site and it was very invasive. And he had some guy challenge him one time. He's like, if you could do this in a week, like you'd have all the work you'd ever want. And he's like, huh. And so he went and he spent a, a chunk of time actually designing a model. And today we start the process in three days. We can get people really well into a process.
1: And just to clarify, when you're saying that process, that's for the strategic process for companies.
0: So that was going on. And he had a, a leader of one of the companies call him one time and said, "Hey, like, and this is, I think, early 80s and said, hey, man, like, I love everything you've ever done for my business. This is awesome. And he's like, but I still got some stuff personally. Like, Can you do for me what you did for that? And now Tom was a devout Christian. He understood the Bible very clearly. A lot of this stuff was actually biblically derived. Uh, And in, in that, he ended up going on a pursuit of like, how do I design a model that basically creates a strategic operating system for a human being to live the life that they feel called to live and do it in a way with clarity, do it with conviction, with simplicity. And so he birthed the idea of a life plan. And so that's the trademark name is life plan. And so... I was fortunate that someone encouraged me to go see LifePlan. LifePlan is the base tool that we use, but then there's a lot of applications that become customized based on the needs of, you know, it could be somebody in a vocational transition. It could be somebody trying to achieve like a next level of vocational expertise or excellence. If they're in a leadership role or they're trying to reach a leadership role, we often use it for people that are couples. We have applications for couples that want to, we have a, a family application, a multi-generational application for it. We actually use it with athletes. Anyone that lives in a performance-based lifestyle, which you know m- many entrepreneurs do that, there's a great application, but they're all yeah. uniquely customized to the individual and their needs. Probably one of the unique things is it's, a lot of people want to lump it into like, hey, so you're like a life coach. I'm like, well, not really, because what we do is we facilitate the installation of this system for the person or the family and then we help them remain accountable to it. And there are opportunities in there where it becomes coaching or consulting on the other side. But our, our primary function is actually setting them up to Socratically live the way that they want to live.
1: Jason, I liked it. When I came out and spent two days with you, one of the first things you told me before coming out, and, and I was, you know, I had trepidation about coming out, but I had kind of gone through a similar journey, not as a professional athlete, but as an entrepreneur, building a nationwide company kind of hitting that point saying, okay, what's next? How am I going to continue to stay relevant and passionate and accomplish all that? while well, being the dad, the husband that I want to be, the friend that I want to be. And I love one of the first things you told me was I'm just the facilitator. You are 100% of the content.
0: We're just the process to start. It was
1: just pulling that out pulling that out of me, uh, it was already there. It just was completely disorganized. A lot of it was locked up or, you know, just had no way to think about it. And for our listeners today, Jason, what I want to do before you had me come out, you had me do some pre-work. You sent me four questions. I now call these the four most powerful questions that someone can really think about, because it forces you to actually be real about what's happening in your life. And so as I've had other executives and friends and investors and entrepreneurs approach me and say those same things like, you know, I'm trying to get this personal side of my life together as well as the professional side. I'm not trained to be able to do what Jason and his team do. I simply start with these four questions because I think it's a great lead in to understanding if somebody has a need for clarity and a process. So Jason, if it's okay with you, I'd love to just walk our listeners through those four questions.
0: Yeah. Probably the most unique feature is the amount of weight we put on perspective. So we don't take one step forward until we feel like we've gained full perspective about how we got where we are right now and where we are. The most foundational perspective tool we use, we call it the four helpful lists. This is Tom's work.
1: Which I've rebranded as the four most powerful questions you can ever ask yourself.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe we got to consider. We're going to cite trademark. you on that if we do, if we trademark that. Yeah, we'll cite you on that. It's how do I go about, like, if I were going to define the state of the union of Jason Baker today, I can do it through the lens of these questions. And so we ask people to reflect on these before we sit down and say, hey, let's just first talk about what's right. If I just said, hey, what's right about your life today? Right? Meaning, what are those things that you'd want to optimize or more fully leverage or highlight? You might even, if you were one who boasted, you might be one who would boast about these things. What are those things that you're proud of? And we ask them to look at it through the lens of their personal life, through their family, vocation, faith, community, however that lands, just let them kind of process it in those domains. And when we talk about personal life, we're talking about everything that's physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, what's right. And we, and we allow them just to download. We don't, we don't need any structure around it, just start getting the ideas out. And then we'll move from there into a conversation where we're going to say, All right, well, now that we know what's right, let's talk about what's wrong. What are those things that if we could change them right now, we would change them? Like if I could just change this thing today, I would immediately accelerate in the direction I want to go. What are those things that are those barriers that I'm facing? Again, same domains, filter them through. We go into a conversation about what's unclear. If we could clarify right now, it would accelerate us. What are those things that we're asking questions about that pause that cause us pause? Like when you when you don't have clarity, you generally end up with paralysis, you're frozen. Imagine if you're on a road trip and you pull up to a T intersection, you don't know whether to go right or left. Most people don't just turn right or left, they sit there for a second, hoping for another data point that gives them clarity whether I need to go right or left. What are those things that we need the further data points? What are those things that we would want to move the clouds away so we could actually gain that clarity? And then lastly, what we do is we ask, well, then what's missing? So what are those things that if I could just add something here would accelerate me towards the vision I've cast for myself? And we lay all that out. And then what we end up doing is kind of farming through that. The facilitator ends up farming back through that to try to surface, like, what are the, just the major underlying core issues here? And so sometimes that leads to some really, really powerful dialogue. When you share it in a conversation, it seems like a really simple, oh, that's easy. Let's just go through those. But then when you start diving into what those are, and then you ask the next question and the next question about it, you start really turning up some stuff. And it gives that person an opportunity just to create a really great self-perspective.
1: It's an incredible launch pad is what I've found, Jason. So listeners, I'm going to repeat these four questions for you and I'll repeat them. And I would just encourage you, if you're driving, if you're working while you're listening Just pause for just a moment, as long as you're not in the middle of rush hour traffic, pull over, whatever it may be, but just jot these four questions down, whether it's on your phone notes, with the paper and pen, whatever you want to do, write down these four questions. I promise you, it is one of the most powerful ways to get a gauge on where life is at so that you can move forward and being more intentional about where you want to be and how you want to live moving forward. So here's the four questions. First one. What's right in my life, my career, my family, uh, my faith, whatever it may be. Second question, what's wrong? Third question, what's confused? Fourth question, what's missing? Write those down. Please take some time to go through them. I promise it's one of the most powerful things you can do. And at the end, we'll talk about if you go through that and you realize, wow, there's a lot going on here. At the end, we'll help tell you how to get in touch with Patterson and perhaps consider that life plan process that really launched Jason into eventually becoming an owner in the company and launched my relationship with Jason because I had a friend telling me, you got to go talk to this guy. And so, again, just one of the most powerful things I've ever done in my life. So, that's on the life plan side. and, And ultimately, the result of it is The goal is to have a lot of clarity and to have structure around how you make big decisions, whether, you know, for us, some of those big decisions were how much house do we buy? Because we don't want to spoil our kids. We don't want to have everybody running to a different wing of the house. And we were thinking about building our dream home. And so that became part of the process for us. How do you want to spend your time professionally? You know, how are you going to make sure you really feel purpose behind what you're doing? How are you going to be a better husband, a better father? All those things were really, really important for me, as well as then wrapping that around in how do I live out my faith in my day to day without being pushy, but still not having to check my faith at the door and being the same guy, whether I'm at home or work or church or school or my kid's athletic event. And all those things were part of that process. So it's really designed to bring that clarity. Jason, if it's okay, I want to spend the rest of our time. Let's talk about the other side of what you do at Patterson, which is really the strategic planning for organizations.
0: Tom designed a lot of really impressive processes. And the two that we take to market right now, one's called Life Plan, or one's built around Life Plan, the other's built around StratOps. StratOps focuses heavily on organizations, that can, I mean, nonprofits, for profits. Schools, restaurants. We have sole proprietors that have you know less than million dollar revenue businesses, and we've got Fortune fifty companies that are publicly traded and do hundreds of billions of dollars a year. We, it's it's a cool model. We're all involved. We're blessed to be able to work with a wide spectrum of people. It is Tom's contribution to the world. As I said, I'm a third generation steward of it. Tom designed the system. Pete, who I mentioned earlier in a call, I would call him the the second generation. He was the one who actually turned it into a very. He actually brought it to market in a way that made it digestible for clients, made it something that clients could really install and leverage. And it's our job now to, in the third generation of this is to extend the runway for it and then really take it to the next level. The same thing, it's built hugely on perspective. It's Socratic perspective. A lot of times people... We end up in a lot of conversations with consultants. And we we probably are in that category, but we have a very different approach. So we always begin with a Socratic system. You heard me say to you we're gonna do the process, you've gotta be the content. And so we don't let the integrity of that or the fidelity of that disappear through the initial stages of it. And we leverage this system to help organizations get alignment, they gain clarity, they design a model that says, this is where we're headed. We know the truth about where we are, this is where we're headed. We set up a roadmap that shows them the route there. We help them see what the major hurdles are, what major objectives that have to be met initially to start working in that direction. And then we actually provide a systematic approach to actually doing it. It involves accountability. It involves accountability to individuals, accountability to budget, accountability to calendar. But our whole focus in all of it, and if someone says, hey, how do you rate success for your business is 100% geared towards, did our client gain traction on the vision they cast? Are they working towards their vision? Did they make it to their vision? However you score that is how we score our success. We could put together the greatest plan in the world. And if the client doesn't have the appetite to do it, then they, they don't get what they want. We don't get what we want. So we drive heavily after client results. And so unlike many strategic plans, which is probably a really basic way to describe what we do, it never goes on a shelf. It's a living, breathing system that is installed. It is a change in thinking. And then we walk with people on the journey. And so our goal is that they get where they're going. And if we have to help if we have to get on the bike and help them pedal it, then we just get on the bike and help them pedal it. Our goal is to get where they're trying to go. That's why I get out of bed. I love it. And going through life plan helped me clarify that when I could put words to my own purpose, how clearly that aligned with this vocational calling. And and as you said earlier, I went from being talked into doing a life plan to pursuing ownership of the company, not because of anything else. Then it's just the best in our mind, it's the best way to go to market with and do this type of work. And so we're fortunate to get to do it. We've got a great team of people doing it. It's a lot of fun and the results sort of defend themselves.
1: Yeah. So Jason, I wanted to just take a moment to kind of paint a picture of what would a win look like for an organization that is going through that strat up process with Patterson?
0: So it could be a lot of things. One is a lot of times they may feel like they're on the verge of needing to go to the next level. They may feel like they're stagnant. They may feel like they're restricted. There may be a leadership shift, there may be ownership shift. There's a lot of different things that trigger this type of thing. But We actually pull the company through a very tangible exercise on vision. And we ask them to define for us what success is and give a specific horizon when they want to see that, what it looks like. And we actually walk through painting the picture. It's there. It's real. It's not pie in the sky. There's tangible things that we can hit. And then we lay that out and then we build the model that actually takes them there. This involves everything from culture work, structure structure and org design, designing healthy leadership teams will always have a series of very defined performance models, which could look like KPIs In the for-profit space. You see a lot of people that have revenue benchmarks that have margin benchmarks. They may have geographic expansion benchmarks, those type of things. We're heavily geared towards people that have growth mentality. But what we learned during COVID, which I thought was one of the coolest things, is that a lot of companies had to contract and leveraging the same system putting it in a different gear actually allowed companies to... What we what we reference now is prune, allowed companies to prune very intelligently so that it set them up. So when they got in the, the next season, once they got through that pruning season, that their businesses were set to grow in the way they need to grow. That was a, something we really enjoyed. It wasn't fun at the time, but it was nice to be able to actually help walk them through a really rough time and not just always be walking them to you know, times that are good times, if you will, when they're celebrating growth. So... There's lots of ways it's measured. Each company's unique in it. And it certainly depends on if it's a for-profit or a nonprofit. And but a lot of times it's focused on people that are growth-minded.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue into the final segment of our episode. Place where I get to ask two questions. So the first question is the question that everybody wants to know. And really what it is, Jason, is the question I want to know. And then the second question is ultimately going to be about how can people reach out and get in touch with Patterson? So my question for you today, you know, I've had the opportunity to see you engage with a lot of nonprofit companies, really because you're passionate about the ones that you've engaged with. I just want to hear, do you have any favorite story about watching a nonprofit go through this strategic planning process? and the tangible result that they got to experience as a result.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to use one that's near and dear to my heart, to be honest with you, if that's okay. I'll, and I'll go with a nonprofit, and that would be the Foreign Community School District. Foreign Community Schools is the largest school district in the state of Indiana. It's also where, obviously, as we talked, that's where I went to school, or I matriculated. That's right. You know, we three or four years ago, we launched into an effort around uh, really raising the level of quality in athletics. Uh, we've, that's one of the focuses of the district's So the district has a plan that they're executing on, but in athletics and even right now, like looking at the before and after picture, they're redoing the stadiums. They've got great fitness facilities and all the schools that are being done. They're partnering with people that can teach from a professional learning perspective and teach students wellness, physical wellness, health. They've got the facilities to do that. So they're able to something that felt like, Hey, we just need better athletic stuff to be more attractive has turned into how do we actually teach the life skill to all these kids and staff about how to take care of themselves and the facilities that now exist in all their buildings are a result of this work and the shift in focus and priority the school is made towards it and the output so that you can like, but when you can walk into a room and see something that would have never existed before, if they didn't do this work, and it goes from literally concept through beta through scaling to market. And you're sitting there like, this is a tangible output that these people like, this was just a brainchild years ago. And now it's this thing that, you know, 32,000 kids get to walk through every day. And those type of things are really motivating. And it's cool to see the other ones where a for profit business, you know, they said, Hey, we were 10 million and we want to be a hundred million and hit that. That's a cool story. And that attracts more business. It just looks and feels different when you're like, Hey, every kid that gets off a bus in Fort for Community schools for however long is going to be taught those skills. You're like, that's a good reason to get out of bed.
1: And I love that. You haven't even lived in Fort Wayne for almost two decades, yet you still have this passion to come back and make a big impact on a place that had a big impact on you. And and Absolutely. I know they appreciate that in a huge way. So thanks for sharing that story. Well, that takes us to my final question, Jason. I'm certain that from our listeners, there are probably some people out there that could absolutely benefit from this life planning process. How would you know that if you went through those four questions and you realized, wow, there's a lot of things here on the what's wrong or what's confused or what's missing? If you get a lot of things on any of those or you feel like you're not maximizing the things on the what's right side those would be really good indicators that this might be helpful for you. And Jason has an incredible team at Patterson. All that precision and discipline that he brought to being uh, the world's greatest punter is the same level of precision and discipline that he brings to Patterson. I'm sure some of our listeners fit that camp. Others, maybe they are in a for-profit or a nonprofit organization that has those same issues, that they need clarity, they need help and support, they want to go to the next level, but just need some help to level up. And that's what the stratop process is designed to do. So either of those, how do they reach out to Patterson and get in touch to, to figure out what that process would look like for them?
0: Pretty simple. I mean, the website's set up to gather that and we're quickly responsive to that and such so as pattersoncenter.com. Patterson has one T, so P-A-T-E-R-S-O-N center.com. You can break off and if you're exploring work as an individual or family and or if you're an organization. And it, I mean, it's really simple. If you feel stuck, if you feel unclear about how to move forward or even where to go, I would love to claim my own ability and skill or my team's ability and to skill. Tom handed us just an absolutely golden tool in his work. And we're proud to be able to steward that for him. But the gold is in the, in, in the processes. If I were to ever boast about it, it would be that it's his work. But if you want and you, you have an appetite to do the work, you will get the outcome you're looking for. We can't even get in the way of that. So we, we would like to be able to put it in your hands, get it set up, allow you to enjoy the benefit of it, just like I have personally and vocationally it's, I hope if you have someone in your life that's willing to tap you and say, hey, pick up the phone and call if you're in that position, maybe you know Tom and he'll do it for you. I don't know. So pattersoncenter.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Jason. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us here at Beyond the Ordinary. I'm just blown away by how this thing has taken off. You know, I came into this podcast just kicking and screaming, telling our team I don't want to do it. And you have just made it actually something I enjoy now because it's just been such great feedback. So thank you very much for tuning in. And Jason, thanks again for being here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, man.
1: Thank you. We'll see you next week on Beyond the Ordinary.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.